Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and as always, it is my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm super excited about the podcast that I have for you today because this is the balance of my conversation with Kevin Troop, and he wrote a book called Strength to Care uh, based on his blog of the same name, and last week I was able to share the first part of this wonderful story of how he and his wife and their other children uh, work to give his disabled sons their highest quality of life and how his family has navigated all the issues related to disability and you're in for a treat once again. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone who listened to last week's episode. That episode has been up a little less than a week as of my recording this, and it has 70 individual listens. And so I think that is probably the best that my podcast has ever done for one week's worth of listens. There may be a couple of exceptions, um, like maybe back in the days when I was regularly reviewing Master Arts shows, there might have been a couple that eclipsed that. But I'm just super excited that so many of you um, have listened to this podcast, and I would encourage you to share it with others so that they can gain the hope that so many of you obviously uh, did last week. And I think this week's conversation is a good compliment to that because we will talk about coping with change and dealing with that as pertains to severe disability. We'll be talking about how isolation can affect disability. We will be talking about how relationships are impacted when there is a factor of disability. Um, and so I'm really excited to dig into that with you. But first, we're going to talk about what is going on. Well, I got to tell you that as dark and drear as the landscape of America seems, in Florida, there seems to be a lot of hope right now. Controversial topics like BLM, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, and black queer studies have been pulled from the College Board's AP African American Studies course. This all coming after backlash from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and one Florida Democrat. Listen. Well, frankly, I'm against the College Board's uh, uh, curricula. I think it's trash. Uh, it's not African American history. Uh, it is ideology. The struggle for freedom, equality, and justice uh, has not been uh, no tension with queerness. That Florida Democrat, Bill Proctor, joins us now. Mr. Proctor, a pleasure to have you on the program. Why did you speak out? Well, it was time uh, when you have something, uh, an injustice of information that will be shared with Florida school children uh, to protect their minds and to make sure that they were getting uh, profitable information that could sustain them through their lives was very important. And uh, I just believe that there are a number of uh, voices emanating. But the truth of the matter is that uh, the College Board's recommendation curriculum was not prime time ready. As a professor of African-American history, really nobody's going to know this subject as well as you. Why do you think that the AP African Studies course from the College Board strayed so wildly and so divergently from what you have taught for years? It's amazing that they were that far off course and outside of the traditional uh, bounds of a John Hope Franklin, uh, the standard text that was used at our university and among others, uh, from slavery to freedom. Uh, the book before the Mayflower, Lerone Bennett, was not in use, or the works of Ivan Van Sertima and other authors of note. Um, it's just un 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 unfathomable as to why they would be so far away from the norm. What's been the reaction to your taking a stand? Well, a number of people believe that I am endorsing Governor DeSantis or I'm backing Governor DeSantis. Uh, I view it just the opposite. Governor DeSantis is uh, standing up for me. Uh, Governor DeSantis recognizes this curricula does not talk about freedom. And from 1619 to 1865, the quest of Africans in America uh, during this month of African-American history has been about freedom. 
It does not talk about the law or constitution. You cannot talk about the role of the law of the Constitution, Article 1, uh, the 13th Amendment, 14th, 15th Amendment, all of those things. About, and then, of course, how can you talk about African-American history and there's no reference to economics? And for 246 years, Africans here in America have been uh, the instruments of economics and uh, selling people, moving people about. That's a family issue. Um, the contributions, and even the governor pointed out that the biographies of noted, noteworthy uh, African Americans over the years were missing. So when you're teaching a subject matter that does not talk about the fundamentals, uh, about freedom, about the law, about the economics of the situation, the religion, uh, the family uh, matters, as well as the contributions in many areas, uh, uh, is, is missing something terribly uh, bad. Well, what you did worked because the College Board updated the curriculum on Wednesday and said, quote, the course focuses on the topics where professors shared a strong consensus on the essential events, experiences and individuals crucial to a study of African-American history and culture. I said what you did worked. Are you confident that this has gone far enough and that they have reformed the curriculum properly to reflect what should be taught based upon your years of experience in this field? No, I think that what they've gone to, they, they've gone to patching. This is a patch up. And we need to move from patching to uh, scratch. Let's go from patch to scratch. And on yesterday, I asked Governor uh, DeSantis uh, in a letter to him if he would appoint uh, a 15-member panel of scholars within the state of Florida to come up with a real um, meaningful um, curricula. It, it saddens me, it hurts me that the college board does not come under the auspices of the U.S., uh, Department of Education, now the Florida Department of Education. They're not accountable. They're a private uh, organization, supposedly, presumably for um, for um, nonprofit. However, uh, they uh, account and report to thousands of universities, and they stand as the gatekeepers between children uh, all across America. And their, their role has been to assess uh, the aptitude and what young people might have in terms of uh, having college um, abilities to matriculate. And I believe that in this instance, uh, this board has not had the expertise of African-American historians. It's amazing how they have flip-flopped, done an about-face. They have um, um, capitulated to a number of uh, uh, concerns raised by the the DeSantis administration. There's a lot there that we could unpack And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I just want to point out the fact that he said that this was not about history, but rather about posturing and about like a social justice movement and about talking about how bad things are for black people. The reality is, as we have talked about in the past on this podcast, America has some dark stains on its history. And one of those is the way that we treated the African-American. There is no doubt whatsoever about that. But rather than making this curriculum about the triumph of the human spirit and the fact that there are many Americans of African descent who have made great contributions to our society since freedom came to the slaves at the end of the Civil War, These makers of this curriculum instead, it appears, chose to take the tone that black people are still victims, that they are still oppressed, that they still can't overcome. Nothing infuriates me more than someone who is successful in their field choosing to encourage others to continue in the victim mentality. Oprah is one of the most successful talk show hosts and personalities ever. She is a billionaire. And so her thrust as she's out and about in public and making an impact upon others should be, I'm successful. This is how I became successful. And if we're going to teach African-American history, it should a be taught that there are many successful 
people who are African-Americans. I think of Frederick Douglass, who rose from obscurity and became a very educated, articulate man. I think of Booker T. Washington, uh, who I learned about in school. I think of George Washington Carver, who came up with, I think, hundreds of uses for the peanut and the sweet potato. Those are the kind of stories that should highlight in a course on African-American history. And I feel really sad for people who did not have the experience that I had, which is that learning about these great people should be the part of every person's education. I think that has been a matter of culture shock for me because I just assumed that people growing up, especially in the homeschool community, would learn these great stories. Um, but I've heard claims of otherwise, so I, I feel sad for you if that's not your reality. But if we're really going to teach African-American history, we need to teach about the overcomers. We need to teach people how to become the next great people in this area of life and not because they're African-American, not in spite of the fact that they're African-American, but because they are great people who are motivated to make a difference in their world. And that's really what we need to do. What does the Bible tell us to do? It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it to the glory of God. It says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that we may be able to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so we need to learn to live as victors and not victims. I have faced a similar challenge as a disabled American. There are so many times when I've been discriminated against, when I've had struggles in work and in relationships, and I can choose to stew on those things, and some days I will admit that I feel more like stewing than being a victor. But really, when the decision is be a victim or a victor, it's far better to live as a victor and to realize that God is the one that orchestrates life, and he will open doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open, and that I can trust his direction for my life, and so can you. So I commend this man for standing up for the children. He said that he wanted to be protective of children's minds because they are so vulnerable to indoctrination. This is why I talk about education so often on this podcast. And this is why I so often say that regardless of the method of education that you choose for your children, that you as the parent are the primary source of that education and you are responsible for it. Because we cannot allow the world to be the primary influence on our children. There's too much at stake. Um, and so I, I applaud this man for for his stance. I also think it was significant that he said there wasn't enough African-American influence on this curriculum. If you're going to teach the history of African-Americans, especially on an AP level, which is an advanced level, you need to get input from African-Americans. And as the man who led this news story said, I think it would be great if this committee would be formed and if this man would head it up. And I really like the fact that he pointed out that it wasn't that he was siding with DeSantis and was suddenly a Republican. There's probably many things that he still disagrees with DeSantis on as a Democrat. But I like the fact that he was able to see that Ron DeSantos acts from a place of common sense. That DeSantis wants the best for Florida. And he's not concerned with being popular or making people like him. The Bible says that if people speak well of you, especially if all people speak well of you, 
woe to you. Because the Bible says we will be persecuted if we live godly. Paul promised us all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I've heard Ron DeSantis say on multiple occasions, if everybody likes you, you must be doing something wrong. So you can't go into an office like governor of Florida um, hoping for a popularity contest that you will win because people will like you. At the same time, people are able to recognize common sense, and that's why he overwhelmingly was reelected as the governor of Florida last November. So I just really was encouraged by that story. I hope you are as well, that there are people fighting back against um, the woke culture and saying that the AP, as prestigious of an organization as it is, needs accountability. I was very blessed by that. The next thing I want to share with you is something that I've thought for a long time, but have never heard articulated by the news media in quite this way. And finally, for the regime, the greatest threat to humanity other than climate change comes from social conservatives or whatever faith. They're far more dangerous than the CCP or even foreign terrorists, for that matter. The regime knows that people whose hope lies in heaven and who pay more attention to the Bible than to the media aren't easily manipulated or bossed around. This is why they seek to upend traditional institutions like law enforcement, the military, and the nuclear family. While the image of the nuclear family is often held up as the ideal and only form a family can take, whether or not that's true seems to vary by social group and region. It's important to remember whatever form, shape, or size it takes, we have the power to define what family should look like for ourselves. And of course, anti-American propaganda is their lifeblood, which the populists are working to expose, especially parents fighting the radicalism in our schools today. I really appreciate what Laura Ingram said here and it underscores once again why the thrust of speaking for him is to speak up for the nuclear family because God wasn't messing around when he created the nuclear family. Does that mean that God can't bless you if you are listening to this and you are a single mom who is divorced and struggling? Absolutely not. The Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. And if you are a widow or you are a single mom in my audience today, I just want to encourage you that God sees you, he knows you, he cares about you. But for those of us who are still seeking to embark upon a marriage and embark upon a family, I think it's important for us to remember the blueprint of Scripture and the power that can come when we stand on the truth of Scripture and see the difference that it can make. Over the last two or three years or so, especially since COVID has happened, we've seen schools try to reach for more and more power. I remember there was one time during COVID where a teacher was actually tweeting that he wanted to make sure that parents didn't listen in to Zoom sessions of his classes because he thought that kids would not be honest with their feelings and thoughts if they were listen if parents were listening in. And he also implied that parents should not have a say in their children's education. And people pushed back on this. And people have pushed back on this at various school board meetings around the country. And people made a difference, specifically in the Virginia governor election with Glenn Youngkin and Winsome Sears. There are good things happening because people are sick and tired of being sick and tired and they're wanting to get back to the basics of our founders, which says that our government is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I want to bring you back to a story in the Old Testament with the children of Israel. The children of Israel were brought to the land of Egypt by Joseph to save them in the time of famine. And after the Pharaoh that was the Pharaoh at the time of Joseph died, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph 
and did not know his family or anything about the circumstances surrounding their arrival in Egypt. And he was worried about the power that the children of Israel could exert in the land of Egypt. Why was he worried? Because of the numbers that they had. And numbers meant influence. So what was his response? His response was first to make them slaves, and second to mandate population control, which involved throwing the baby boys in the Nile River to kill them. Because he knew that there was a potential of being overwhelmed by the people of Israel because of their strength in numbers. My friends, when I think of the pro-life movement, I think of it in those terms. If we as Christians were truly pro-life, we could win simply on the basis that the other side wants to eliminate their progeny. But we have arrived at a place, even in Christian culture, where children are inconvenienced, where children are only um, thought of in terms of, well, if I can schedule them in the right time, they'll be convenient. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you have to turn your whole life around and decide to have 12 kids. Okay, I don't think that that's God's plan for every family. I mean, even looking at Jacob, he had 13 children um, from four wives. So the average per wife was just over four children a uh, wife. So even back then, it wasn't God's plan for one woman generally to have, you know, 12, 13, 14 kids. But here's the deal. If we as a Christian church are not going to have a better attitude about children and bringing children into the world and thinking that's a great thing, how are we ever going to convince the world to come over to the side of life? We need to have a different view than those who oppose us. And we need to make sure that we're not just pro-life in word, but also pro-life in action, and perhaps even more important, pro-life in heart. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, sitting in a pre-screening of the movie Unplanned uh, with a group of ministry leaders, because... We were planning an outreach, uh, which speaking for him was grateful to take a part in, um, where we rented a bunch of theaters and we showed the movie free to as many people as we could. Now, I'll admit that my financial contribution to this was not great. It was spearheaded by mainly True Life Bible Church, and I was just so grateful to be along for the ride. But one of the things I did do was talk to people before and after the broadcasts of this movie and try to encourage them to embrace life. And it was so great for me to be there and to experience that and to pray for God to do a work. But all that to say, during this pre-screening that we went to, Randy Heckman um, who is well-known in the West Michigan area as a judge, and he's been the leader at Children's Bible Hour for a brief time and some other organizations. He talked about the change that he went through with his wife, this metamorphosis of going from being pro-life in word to actually being pro-life in heart, to actually looking forward to the gift of children rather than just seeing them as okay if they're convenient. Because if you think about it, the idea that children are okay if they're convenient is the exact belief that the pro-choice movement embraces today. So I just encourage you to think about that today and to remember that it is incumbent on us as believers in Jesus Christ to embrace the mind of Christ on this important topic. Well, I'm about to share with you the second part of my conversation with Kevin Troop. I had so much fun with this interview. 
I was realizing leading up to this interview that it's been a while since I actually interviewed somebody else on my show, probably one of the longer stretches in the history of the podcast between those times. But I have to tell you that I was just so thrilled with how this interview came out. I knew it was going to be really good and beneficial um, because Kevin and I have a great rapport, but I was just super blessed by what he had to share. And so we'll dig into that in just a second. But first I want to share with you a quote of the day. And this is one of my favorite passages when it pertains to my disability and my struggle with accepting my disability as something that God allowed to happen for a purpose. And so my quote of the day today comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. And it's Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh. And he writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I have to tell you, as someone that has grown up with a lifelong disability, I have had so many experiences where well-meaning people have said, if you have enough faith, you can be healed. I had one particular experience where someone who had interacted with me one day and heard my testimony of triumph called me up the very next day and says, I know how you can get right with God so that you can walk again. And I had to shut him down and say, you know what? God doesn't tell me to shun my infirmities. As a matter of fact, this passage here says that I can glory in my infirmities because through my infirmities, the power of Christ will rest upon me. And I think you will find as we listen to the balance of this interview that the power of Christ rests on Kevin and his family because they know that God has a purpose in it all. So here is the balance of my conversation with Kevin Troop as he continues to talk about strength to care. So how are your boys doing health-wise right now? They're actually, so we went through, like I think many people did, COVID was kind of a a gut check for all of us. And uh, our boys thrive on routine, and their routine routine was shattered, <laughs> uh, to say the least. So uh, COVID for us, uh, the isolation was hard, uh, and it was on the backside of a very trying time for Matthew, uh, in the span of about 18 months, uh, one of his beloved caregivers, uh, moved on in life. You know, she got a big girl job, full-time job. Uh, his second youngest sister got married and moved away. And his oldest sister, Hannah, uh, went away to camp for an assignment and was gone for a year and a half. And so all of this happened in about a six-month period, and it sent Matthew into some very high anxiety, like who's leaving next? Um, he would follow uh, my wife and I around the house, wouldn't let us out of his sight, uh, just anxiety of who's leaving now kind of thing. And so that turned into some behaviors, uh, destructive behaviors, and also some uh, not only property destruction, but also hurting hurting himself and uh, taking some uh, aggression out on my wife. And uh, so anyway, we went through kind of a dark period there. Um, Isaac 
we've always had medical issues with him, um, especially when he was younger. And so anyway, all of that to say, we're in a really good place right now. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we've been able to work through some stuff with Matthew. Uh, medication helps. I can tell you that. Uh, we were against that at first, but, um, he is much happier, um, with, uh, his life and what's going on. And that, you know, he still has, like you mentioned, uh, bad days here and there, but all in all, we're in a much better place. In fact, um, uh, for me being able to do the production, you know, at uh, master arts, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that ever before. And so we're kind of in a place right now where, uh, that was quite a, um, a step <laughs> for us as a family to be able to do that and allow Teresa to be home, uh, a lot of time with the boys and, we wouldn't have been able to do that before. Uh, I had to take time off from work a lot just to come home and make the peace. Cause I was kind of Matthew's rock, you know, and he needed me there. So yeah, I would say, I'm glad you asked that. Cause uh, you know, there's always a Valley things that you go through. And I always think of Psalm 23 where, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil for you are on my side with your rod and your staff that give me courage. You know, we always think about that, that valley, but I remember this from a commentary years ago, um, that Psalm 23 and you, you think about the valley and it's, uh, the key word in that. And it's taken me a long time to realize the key word in that is through. He takes us through the valley. That means there's an end and we can, we will come out of it. And I think if anything to share that whatever we go through, uh, whatever the struggle that it's a through experience. It kind of reminds me of Mark Lowry, the comedian and gospel singer who did a, did a bit. It wasn't really a comedy bit. It was more of a devotional bit where he said his favorite uh, words in the Bible are, and it came to pass, mm -hmm. you know, cause whatever you're going through, like you said, uh, it came to pass, it will pass. Yep. And he actually has a really neat gospel song called this too shall pass. Uh, basically talking about what you're talking about, where whatever you're going through, um, whether it's a good time or a bad time, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to pass. And, and, and sadly for us, sometimes the hard times feel like they take forever. You know, you're talking about how difficult COVID was for your boys. And I can only imagine how difficult that was because it was difficult for me. And I was able to communicate the mm -hmm. whole time and talk to my family and reach out and talk to people. I'm so thankful, um, that I never deleted Zoom off my computer. I have a really interesting story. I was cleaning out my computer in February of 2020, mm -hmm. and there was this little used app called Zoom that I had used exactly once, <laughs> um, and I had a horrible experience with it because our internet was really slow back then. So I'm like, I, I'm probably going to delete this because I'll never use it again. Lo and behold, March 13th of 2020, I get sent home from my job, which at that time I was working at Potter's House Christian High School. Mm -hmm. And I was in my house for 82 straight days. Wow. And if you had told me at the beginning of that time that I was going to be home for 82 straight days, I would have told you you were nuts. Mm -hmm. Like in during wintertime, sometimes I'm home for as many as, you know, nine or 11 days if there's a winter storm or whatever. Mm -hmm. But much beyond that, and I would absolutely go crazy. But every day I just had to get up and keep saying, um, be still and know that I am God. That verse went through my head over and over again. I was like, okay, God, well, what do you have for me today? And it was actually during that time that I learned audio production and I bought audio equipment to bring my podcast home because at the time of the pandemic, I was going to a radio station to record my podcast. 
but then the studio closed and I wasn't able to get in and I had three episodes planned ahead. But beyond that, I wouldn't have been able to keep it going if I hadn't gotten the courage to get on YouTube and learn how to edit and how to produce my own audio. And now I have been doing it myself for, you know, almost three years, which is pretty wild to think about. So as we move forward, do you have a Bible verse in particular that kind of is a life verse for you or one that you cling to on a regular basis or maybe one that you're clinging to right now because it changes? I think this is uh, one that has been something that Teresa and I have adopted, my wife and I have adopted over the years. Um, it's Ephesians 3.20. And uh, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The reason why that one sticks out for us in particular is we have walked quite a journey. <laughs> and there we could not have done this without, number one, the power of prayer and a community behind us who have been praying for us and still pray for us daily. Um, but I think the, the part in there that really, I think for us is that he's able to do more than we have, can ever ask for or imagine. Uh, but we have to ask for it. We have to ask God to continue to give us strength, to give us courage, to give us, um, that strength to take each step every day. Um, and he will, he'll, he'll exceed our expectations. If only we have the faith, um, to, to ask. I think that's one thing that I've learned through the years. First of all, he doesn't give us someone else's grace mm -hmm. because pe people will ask me, well, how do you deal with your daily struggles? And I'm like, well, God gives me the grace that I need to deal with what I'm dealing with. And he'll give you the grace to deal with what you're dealing with. And then the next thing is he doesn't give us grace in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, like this, like the songwriter said, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. We always want to know what the resources are for the next month or year. And he says, instead, pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I think that was a big thing that COVID taught me was I can't jump ahead two months and say, is this going to be resolved then or what's going to happen? All I can do is say, today, what are you going to teach me today? How am I going to make it through? So mm -hmm. I, I think that's so important. Um, how have you guys navigated your marriage through the struggles with their disability, because that has to be a, a, a tough thing on your marriage as well. Yeah. I, I think for us, um, we both from the very beginning, we lived so many years in the beginning, uh, especially, you know, with Matthew, of course, uh, that we lived a day to day existence. You know, it was, um, we almost did better in crisis than we did in non-crisis uh, because we knew that we had to just put our nose to the grindstone and make it happen. And I think um, that made us strong, I think, uh, in our faith, for one thing. But then when we had the lulls, it gave us an opportunity just to take a deep breath. And uh, I can't stress enough that we... Um, we laugh a lot, <laughs> you know, there might be something that is like completely, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, our boys are both nonverbal and, you know, they're, uh, they both have an autism diagnosis. So, uh, they do some things that just are comical, 
uh, and there's things that they'll do. Like, um, we've had incidences with poo, you know, <laughs> on the wall, on the ceiling. And it's like, you just have to laugh. I mean, that's, I think how we've gotten through most of it is that, um, you don't take things too seriously and, uh, you kind of have to deal with, uh, uh, things that happen with a grain of salt because really a lot of times when it's a trial like that, it, it's an opportunity for the evil one to steal our joy. And, you know, if we can counteract that and just say, you know what, it really isn't that big of a deal <laughs> and kind of, uh, I think that's how our marriage, and I think too, we, we take intentional time. We don't often, um, get the opportunity to vacation together. As a family, uh, the logistics are just too tough. And I think that could probably, you could relate to that. Um, it really does take a village if, uh, we go away. And in fact, uh, we celebrated our 25th anniversary, wedding anniversary. That was the first time, uh, in 15 years that, um, my wife and I had been away from our children more than a night. Uh, you know, that didn't involve a hospital stay, <laughs> you know, or a surgery or something. But um so it really does take a village to do that. And so uh one thing that uh we do is I like to fish. I like to take time away. And so um I take some intentional time a couple times a year to go do something to get away and to um not have to think about medications and feedings and, you know, oxygen levels and all of that stuff. And then likewise, my wife does the same. So we give each other grace to be able to uh, take those times and uh, do what we like to do. Um, even though we do it separately, uh, it's, we need that time. And I think that's uh, a key for us is that we allow each other a break. Um, cause honestly in our house, you, you really, you have to tap out to go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, uh, our boys are, you have, they have to be supervised because it's not like they're going to be destructive, but they'll do things like even just, <laughs> even just yesterday, my, uh, second oldest daughter was visiting and we hear a screech and here comes Isaac from the kitchen with a steak knife <laughs> running and he doesn't know what he has, but we're like, dude, that's a knife. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, they can't be unsupervised. And so we have to tap out just to even go to the restroom. <laughs> that That's so good on a couple of different levels. First of all, I often also, as you know, from working with me, use humor to deal with my situation. And sometimes I feel like people wonder if they can laugh with me because they don't want to offend me, but I'm oh, always like, I'm always like, you're not going to easily offend me. I've lived with this for 40 plus years. It is my life. And if I didn't laugh, I wouldn't know how to deal with it. Um, right. but the proverb says that a joyful heart does good, like a medicine and it means what it says. So I definitely think that humor is important. I also, like what you said about acknowledging the difficulty, because if there's one thing I want people to know about my disability and interacting with me, whether it be on a platonic friend level or eventually having a spouse, which is my prayer, mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing I want people to know is I acknowledge that there are hardships that come with a relationship with me, whatever type of relationship that is. But it's only through acknowledging those difficulties that you can work through them. If you just pull away and you don't face them head on, then both parties of a relationship can miss out on a blessing. And I've had people that have dove in and experienced a rich relationship with me. And now after December, I include you on that list. And then I've had other people that have pulled away because they were scared of what they didn't know. And I'd much rather have someone come alongside and be willing to ask the difficult questions and be willing to answer the difficult questions honestly than to just walk away. So I'm sure you've experienced some of that yourself. Oh, yeah. I, I know that um, for 
quite a while. Uh, it, it's tough for us to have um, adult friendships, you know, with other couples. Uh, it's interesting, and, and I know you can um, resonate with this as well. It's like we go through, like right now, uh, one thing you had asked me earlier is about, you know, prayer. You know, uh, one of your questions that you asked is, what could we pray for? And uh, right now we have um, a nursing shortage. And it's not just us. It's across. <laughs> There's a, a lot of home health care where it's very um, in a critical stage right now. And so we have um, only four out of seven nights covered. And so we cover the rest. So um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, we're in a season right now. And I, I can only say that it's a season. Uh, I think as I as I shared in uh, Ephesians about, you know, it's not for lack of asking <laughs> that God would provide this need. But it's interesting that... Um, you know, we're still in the season and, and so praying for something, uh, for that, that need is, I think, making our relationship, uh, Teresa and I stronger. Um, you know, cause we have to kind of take it day by day right now. You know, lack of sleep is, is pretty hard. And, um, the night parties like last night, Isaac has night parties where he'll be awake for several hours. And he thinks it's hilarious. Uh, we don't. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just getting through those nights uh, are tough. I can imagine. And, you know, we'll definitely, I will definitely encourage my listeners to pray uh, for help in that area. And I will definitely be praying, too. I, I have to say, with a note of humor, that I never thought I would have a friend for whom one of my main questions when I see you would be, did you get to sleep last <laughs> night? But that was often a question that either myself or someone else sure. in the cast or crew of the show would be like, well, was, t- was last night one of the nights you got to sleep? Uh, because it's a unique circumstance to your situation, and I'm sure there's others like you that can relate as well. But a lot of us don't have to deal with that. And... I also wanted to bring up something, too, is one thing that resonated with me that you told me about your boys was that you realized they could communicate more than you thought they would. Because the assumption is just because they're not verbal means they can't communicate. And I thank God every day that he gave me an articulate voice so that the person that I am inside is able to come out instead of being frustrated at not being able to communicate with people. So I feel blessed in that way. But you have said that you have seen some remarkable breakthroughs through the years with your own boys' communication, correct? I have, yeah. We, they uh, um, have both, they both use sign a little bit, sign language. Uh, Matthew, our oldest, probably uses it and understands more. But a huge breakthrough with them has been uh, a uh, communication device, which is uh, something that they can quickly scan through um, icons, uh, themed icons, and put together sentences and articulate what they need. Like they can do an I want phrase, and they can add in there, like Isaac is always asking for, uh, his black iPad or his blue Kindle or uh, Matthew's most asked for item is he just puts slinky. <laughs> he uh, <laughs> likes to play and fidget with a slinky. So, yeah, they get their um, intentions and as far as their wants or needs um, across by using these communications devices. And it's amazing because uh, even at a very young age, um Isaac, I think he was four and he was spelling out like hippopotamus and words that because it was his only means of communicating, he didn't use sign language. So, um, he learned to spell impeccably, uh, when he was quite young. And so that's quite amazing how, uh, they use that. You know, one thing I was going to share and I, I started uh, and I lost my train of thought on is that. 
you mentioned about uh, struggles with relationships and how, you know, some are strengthened and some are lost. And um, we, um, as our family started and, and Matthew started to grow and um, we felt that same thing. And it's interesting because, you know, have you had, if you've had in your, your life, you've had friends who maybe who have been sick or maybe have been in um, an accident, a horrible accident and people rally around them, you know, like take them a meal and, you know, they're on a prayer chain and, you know, all these things that can happen. And uh, when you're dealing with a lifelong, like with yourself with a disability or, or our boys who have had this, you know, their entire lives and will have it as a caregiver for them is that it doesn't go away. <laughs> no amount of meals being brought to our house is going to make it go away. And I think that was something that my, uh, Teresa and I had to embrace is that not everybody's going to understand the situation we're in and not that we're looking for empathy or sympathy or anything like that. It just knows that, you know, for us, I think that the, the, the life that we're in, the struggle that we're in, um, is kind of a job like thing, you know, that we, it, it's, this is just the path that God has put us on and, uh, to draw strength from, I think, I know it sounds weird, but to draw strength from the struggle and, you know, we live a, a different life. You, we do, uh, than most people do. And I think, uh, in the end, I think God rewards that. I, I think there's things that you see that we see. It's kind of like Corey Ten, Ten Boom has said, you know, that our life is but a tapestry. You know, if you ever look at a tapestry, it's beautiful from the backside. I mean, from the front side. But when you look at that backside, it's a mess. There's strings that go all over the place and crisscrossed. And I mean, it's a complete mess. And that's how God works behind the facade of what we go through. God is always connecting those dots. Well, I think that is so true. I, I think about the fact that we all need each other, right? God has created us to live in community. He calls Christians the body of Christ, and no part of the body is more important than another, and we are told constantly that we need each other. The Bible says that God puts the solitary in families, and I believe that that speaks on both a biological and a spiritual plane, that he gives us people in our lives as we need them. And... So we're not meant to live on an island. We're not meant to be solitary. But our culture tells us that we should live by ourselves, that we need to be independent, that we don't need other people, and that needing other people is a sign of weakness. And I feel like having a disability puts me in a unique place to realize my need for other people in such a way that a lot of people don't and also realize my need for God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. So it's been a really great time sitting down and, and talking to you about these things, Kevin. But before we go, I just have one final question. As we are embarking on 2023, uh, because that's where we sit right now, uh, what is one of the biggest things that you feel God is teaching you right now? And maybe dovetailing on that, maybe do you have any particular goals in mind, goals or hopes in mind for the coming year? Maybe another book? <laughs> I do. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, conversation that we've been having here back and forth and, um, when I look at the, what God is teaching me right now in this moment is that, uh, you know, I mentioned our nursing situation. Um, you know, if I look at that, that verse that I shared and look at, uh, where God, he can provide immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. It's, I mentioned, it's not for lack of asking, <laughs> But I think God is um, just teaching the lesson he's teaching us right now is that 
it's going to be in his perfect timing. You know, this lesson in patience right now, I'm learning that I still need to enjoy the journey. You know, that if only this will happen, things will be better. If only this will happen, things will be. And I, I think we live too often with that mindset and we forget to enjoy the journey, no matter what the view is. The view may be horrible right now, <laughs> but we still need to enjoy the journey. And uh I think looking at this year, one goal, you know, I say I've been blogging for 13 years. The last few years, it's been very sporadic <laughs> and partly because I shared the uh kind of the valley we went through. And uh I think I would like to continue blogging again and writing a little bit more. And I actually do have a, uh, an idea for a second book, and I have some, say it's about maybe a third of the way done. And it really is, uh, so strength to care is, uh, you know, actually we pray for God to give us strength uh, to care for those around us. But, uh, you know, the, the first book was about lessons from our boys and, my thought for the second book is to share other people's journeys. So, you know, the early years, you know, how did they come, how did they come to grips, if you will, you know, with um, uh, the path that God has put before them. So I've been collecting other people's stories and maybe that's something I need to do with you and <laughs> collect your story and uh, have uh, and, and share that. Well, I'm always grateful to share my story. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that I started a podcast uh, was because I always uh, want to be sharing the love of God and the hope that God gives me to as many people as I can. And I've been blessed to have been doing this for over 10 years now. So it's been an amazing journey. And I'm so thankful that you had the opportunity and willingness to come on and join me because it's actually one of my biggest thrills is to be able to share other people's stories. So thank mm -hmm. you so much for being here today, Kevin. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, for all those who are listening, I hope this encouraged you. If you would like to uh, find out more about Kevin, Kevin, where can they find you on the Internet? Uh, so the book is called Strength to Care. Lessons from Matthew and Isaac. It's available on Amazon in both paperback and uh, uh, as a um, Kindle uh, download. Uh, the blog is strengthtocare.com, and uh, that's pretty easy to find. Or you could just Google uh, my name and put blog and uh, Kevin uh, Troop. That's uh, think of Clown Troop, a group. Uh, T-R-O-U-P-E. All right. Well, I would encourage uh, my listeners to check out those resources. I will link in my blog to Kevin's blog as well as to his book on Amazon so you can avail yourself of those resources. So I know I've been dealing with the material of this interview for a couple of weeks now, editing it and preparing it for the podcast. But even just listening to it back now uh, with the rest of you, um, it has really resonated with me just how faithful God is. I think of a couple things uh, that Kevin said toward the end of the interview where he was talking about having joy in the journey and uh, learning through the struggle. The fact of the matter is that God uses struggles to teach us. Remember, I talked about earlier how Paul's lesson in the struggle of his thorn in the flesh wasn't deal with it until I take it away. It was my strength is sufficient for you and it is made perfect in weakness. And I think that you can see that through um, the story of the troops and I hope that this just encourages you with whatever you're struggling with, whether it be something physical, um, whether it be something emotional, whatever it is you're struggling with, that God loves you and that he cares. And that as we also talked about earlier in this episode, this too shall pass. 
Well, that's about all the time I have left today. I just want to say thank you once again to Kevin for being so honest and vulnerable. Um, it truly is a blessing to know you and to have you as a friend and now to be able to share your story with others. So thank you so much. Uh, I think you could tell through his delivery that he was just grateful uh, to be able to share God's faithfulness and there's nothing more exciting than being able to facilitate that. Um, and so I hope that you have a wonderful week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 